It's good to be here this morning. I trust that uh, you feel that way. I'm thankful that God has brought us together uh, at this place this morning and that uh, that he might bless us during the time that we gather together here uh, to worship him and to praise him. Uh, none of us have to look very far to... Uh, to find, or we shouldn't have to look very far to find things that we're thankful for uh, in this in this life that we live in. And if uh, uh, if you're downtrodden or downcast or whatever the case might be, I would just say meditate for just a moment on the goodness and mercy of God in your life uh, and how He has been mindful of you out of the millions and billions that are upon the face of this earth. That He is mindful of you in your circumstance. And it will uh, it will cause uh, your your countenance to change and to think more about uh, surely how great our God is and uh, cause us to humble ourselves hopefully and and worship Him. So as we gather together this morning, I uh, last week I, I kind of turned away a little bit from some of the things that we've been talking about in the book of Hebrews, but turned to uh, uh, some thoughts from the book of Jude, uh, and uh, so. Again, we may look at some of those again in the future from the book of Jude. Uh, but this morning, uh, Lord willing, we'll turn back to some things that we find in the book of Hebrews. As you know, I began looking at things in the book of Hebrews based on a, a portion of Scripture that we find over in the uh, fifth chapter of the book of Romans where he was talking about the atonement uh, that has been revealed to us through the uh, coming of Christ Jesus. And uh, uh, that word atonement talks about the sacrifice that the high priest used to make every year uh, for the sins of the people under the Old Testament law worship service. And so from there, uh, my mind got directed to, I think, to go over and look at some things that we find in the book of Hebrews because I think the apostle Paul, if uh, truly, while not identified as the writer of Hebrews, but uh, the Apostle Paul uh, laid out, I believe, a brilliant uh, case here for God's children, both uh, the Hebrew brethren of that day, uh, those that he had a heart's desire and prayer to uh, see them come to a knowledge of the things of God, and those who, I believe, as it's mentioned maybe here in the latter part of this 10th chapter, as we get into that this morning, uh, those that had been stirred up to worship Christ uh, among the Jews of that day, which that's what their early church was mostly made of, is Jewish brethren and Gentiles. But uh, uh, the early church had a number of Hebrew brethren, Jewish brethren that were in the church. And I think Paul was also concerned as he was looking at them that while many of them had been uh, come to a, a knowledge of the fact that Jesus was truly the Christ, the Savior that had been promised, uh, that there was also much trial and temptation on them to lead them back uh, to fall away from those types of, uh, from that type of service, and so I think this letter of Hebrews was sent as a challenge to both groups of Jewish brethren, those that his heart 's desire and prayer was that they would come to become to be saved through a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, but also uh, those that had maybe at once time been faithful and had fallen back and so in doing that, the Apostle Paul lays out this case. Jesus Christ is better than the apostles. Jesus Christ is better than the prophets. Jesus Christ is better than angels. Uh, and Jesus Christ has come and spoken to us in these recent days. And his challenge to them was to not do as, his, as the children of Israel had formerly done, falling off into unbelief and not enjoying the rest that God had for, prepared for them in the land of Canaan. And so he... He hearkens back to an Old Testament story of God's deliverance of his people out of, out of Egypt uh, and hearkens back to saying, don't fall after the same example of unbelief that hit, hit our Hebrew brethren in the past when they didn't believe God and because they didn't believe God, God didn't allow them to enter into Canaan's land and they wandered 40 years and died in the wilderness, never entering into the rest that God, he said, don't do that. And so when I look back at a message like that, I can look at us today and say, what's going, you know, if y'all pause, I'll get, and I'll get back to chapters nine and 10 as we get there. But let's look at, let's look at the Christians, Christian church and the Christian churches today. 
What is happening to God's children here in this world? We're being sucked off into unbelief. Uh, we're being challenged in various ways. Uh, you know, I, I could go through a list, you know, of things that are afflicting God's children. Uh, everything from, uh, you know, even those that have been raised up among the church are being siphoned off, if you will, and let off into the cares of this world, uh, to worldly lust, to the things of, of jobs and fame and fortune and, uh, uh, you know, much less the other issues that afflict so many people today of drugs and sex and all those things that are going on out there in the world and even among the church itself we find little shadows of unbelief because uh, you find that people sitting on the church pews no longer believe that God's word is the way for carrying out a good marriage or a good way for training up our children or uh, for living a good godly moral life in this world and so the challenges are all around us and Paul saw this early challenge in the in the uh, Hebrew brethren who were being who were being siphoned away and back off into maybe old uh, 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 law worship or whether they were just being led out into worldly lust or whatever the case might have been. He says, look back at the Hebrew brethren who perished in the wilderness and remember, don't fall after the same example of unbelief. It doesn't work out good. And, And I'll tell you, uh, I think I mentioned this a little bit last uh, last uh, Sunday in talking about the book of Jude. Go and read. I mean, the book of Jude is one chapter. Uh, so go and read it sometime and listen, look to the problems and challenges that Jude was addressing in there and all the examples he gave of how rebellion against God... And rebellion takes many forms. One of the examples Jude mentions of rebellion... Unbelief. Uh, he, he said, rebellion has, has severe consequences. For the children of Israel, they died never entering into the rest that God had for them. Uh, for, for, the, for the angels that rebelled, uh, left their first estate. Uh, he says, listen, they're, they're doomed to everlasting chains of eternal torment because of their rebellion. Sodom and Gomorrah, what was the problem? Sexual problems over there, fornication, all kinds of illicit living. What happened? God rained fire down upon them. Rebellion never seems to really work out that good for the people that rebel. Uh, and I'll tell you, today, whether we look at the, uh, our, our Christian churches in America or whether we look over into, let's look over into Europe where there used to be churches <laughs> uh, and where churches are. How's it working out over there these days? Uh, how's it going to work out in our country? How's it going to work out in our families if we don't continue to follow after the principles of God's word it's not going to work out well. I've got the answer for you. <laughs> and so uh, so I, I think as we look here at the book of Hebrews, Paul is telling us this, it didn't work out good in the past. So let me point you back again, he says, to this high priest of our calling, Jesus Christ our Lord. And I want you to consider this man uh, who was such a great man that came among us, who gave his life for us. And you say, uh, you say well, he couldn't have been a high priest and offered the atoning sacrifice. He says, Yes, he was even of a better priesthood than Aaron and Levi. He was of the priest of Melchizedek, who was the one that even our father Abraham went and paid tithes to when he was coming back from the uh, from the uh, the battle against the kings that had taken a lot captive and fought uh, fought against him. He says, "This is a better priesthood. Everything about Jesus Christ is better." Uh, you think the Old Testament law service was good uh, for you back in its days? I'm going to tell you the sacrifice that Jesus Christ gave. He said he only had to make one offering for sacrifice for sins forever. <laughs> uh, he didn't have to come in year after year and, and, and make a sacrifice uh, uh, because it was only good, it was good one time forever and so forth. So. Having summarized across the uh, the uh, first eight or nine and a half or so chapters of the book of Hebrews, let's look into some things written in the last part of chapter 9 as we go into chapter 10. For he says... <clears throat> talking, about, talking about Christ's sacrifice, he says... Uh, It was necessary, we'll turn to verse 23, it was necessary therefore that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things things themselves with better sacrifices than these, for Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands. He's talking about the Old Testament tabernacle and how they would go in and offer uh, the the blood sacrifices of, of bulls and of goats and of lambs and so forth. And he says, but this sacrifice here was not for an earthly tabernacle made with hands. 
hands. It was for a heavenly tabernacle, uh, eternal tabernacle there with God. And he says, so the, it was necessary. Again, you think about this, this phraseology that's being used here in the book of Hebrews. It was necessary that a better sacrifice be made there than what was required here. In fact, it required a perfect sacrifice, uh, just to say it that way. For Christ is not entered in to the holy places made with hands, which are figures, are examples of the true, but he says unto the heaven, heaven itself to appear in the presence of God for us, nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with blood of others, uh, for then must he have often suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once in the end of the world. I think it's interesting. We ought to pause every now and then to pay attention to words that are used in the scriptures. There was a world that came to an end when Jesus Christ offered his sacrifice. It was the world of the lost service, of the lost sacrifice, and so forth. That world came to an end because Jesus Christ put an end to it through that one sacrifice. And so as we look at words and study scriptures, we ought to pay attention to what, what is written there. Paul says he had come once now uh, at the, in the end of the world that he should <coughs> uh, uh, hath appeared. Let's read it again. Let me read it again. For he hath often suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. You know, we go back and I, I'll pause here to, or throw this in quickly just to say this. You know, when John the Baptist saw his cousin Jesus uh, coming uh, for uh, uh, to be baptized at the Jordan River, he says, Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. Uh, I'll tell you, he knew exactly who he was that day. Uh, we know later when he's in prison, he says, said to his disciples, Go and ask him if he be the Christ or do we look for another? I'll tell you, there are, Jesus said about John the Baptist, no greater man born of woman than John the Baptist. Yet John the Baptist had doubts about, was this the Christ? I'll tell you, there's times in our lives when we have doubts about our, about our deliverance from our sins. Uh, I'll tell you, uh, when we do that, don't beat yourself up <laughs> too bad. Uh, remember that John the Baptist also had doubts about, was this the Christ? But I'll tell you, on this day, when he saw Jesus coming to be baptized of, of John, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Uh, he says here uh, that he has appeared once at the end of the world uh, to put away sin by by the sacrifice of himself. He was that great atoning lamb. We go back, the atonement's all uh, uh, talked about, and the Passover's all talked about over the Old Testament, where the children of Israel were brought out of Egypt. And God, God told each household to take a lamb without spot, a male lamb without spot, without blemish, of, uh, of a year uh, to come and to offer uh, as an atonement for their, for their sins and to put the blood on the doorpost and the lentils of their house house. Now it says Jesus Christ is that lamb. That all those lambs that they had sacrificed down through the years, all the atoning sacrifices that those high priests had made every year was not to take away sin, but to point to the one that was to come and take away their sins. And so he says, as is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ... I know that over the years, you know, sometimes you miss stuff looking at the... Uh, it's appointed unto men um, uh, once to die. So Christ was offered to bear the sins of many. How many times? Once. <laughs> uh, 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 and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. So he took our sins upon him. God laid the sins of those that he gave Christ to die for and laid them on his son. And, and those sins, my friends, our sins brought about the death of Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, and he laid down his life for our sins. I mean, there's a there's a whole weaving thing, you know, that you get to going around, and and it's almost like a chasing a, a story that our sins brought brought on his death because he died for our sins. Yet he laid his life down willingly. No man took his life from him. So anyway, uh, he says, Christ hath once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. And I think, uh, you know, for for you and me. We ought to be looking for him uh, daily, uh, looking for him to come come again. For he says, for the, now, now in chapter 10, we, we go in and he begins to tell us uh, again what Christ has done 
and, and maybe just other fashion, but also as he gets toward the end of this chapter is to say, look at what he's done. He was that high priest. He was that lamb that we've been looking for all these years. He is Jesus the Messiah. So don't you let this world drag you down and, and, and rob the, the blessings and the joy that you have in your life uh, while you live here. You know, that we're to be looking for him with a, with a zeal that almost we can't imagine uh, sometimes. So he says, For the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things. You know, I, I don't have to explain to reasonable people. Uh, you know, there, there are all kinds of examples I think I could give right now. But, uh, you know, uh, I, I think when the, uh, when the sun, uh, when we had the uh, eclipse back some, you know, we're all standing outside, right? And, and you know, we got glasses on, you know, trying to look. And, and I'm out with the little uh, uh, colander thing, you know, that has the, has the moon-shaped uh, or has the little holes in it that you drain the spaghetti in, and I'm out holding it out there, and I see these little half-moon shapes on the driveway and on the car, you know. But you know it was just the shadow of the real thing that was going on? When me and you are standing out here today, you know, I can go out here and I can see the shadow of my car or the shadow of my body. And, and I kind of, if I just looked at the shadow, I would have some idea of what the real thing looked like. But not the exact thing. You know, the shadow The shadow can't tell you what the face looks like. Every human shadow kind of looks the same. Some of them are tall. Some of them are short. Some of them are fat. <laughs> some of them are thin. You know, but all the human shadows, you know, kind of look the same. But boy, the people look different, don't they? The real thing looks different. And so he says, the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. It wasn't intended to do that. It was a shadow of the real thing. God, can you imagine? <laughs> uh, today, you know, whew, boy, you just all kinds of things go through my head. Uh, so you get out here and uh, uh, again, you think about the shadow. The shadow's made by the sun out here, or light. Maybe that's a better way of saying it. Light causes shadows to appear. But the shadow could never make the comer there and too perfect because the shadow wasn't the real thing. It was just an image of the one that was to come. And, and the, the, the shadow was made by the light shining out there on the real thing. So he says, when they would for for then would they not have ceased to be offered, because the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. He said, if those things could have made the comers, the, those that were practicing the old law service, if it could have made them perfect, uh, he said, then would they have ceased to be offered because the worshippers once purged, once cleansed, that purging, talking about cleansing out, once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. They would have, it would have not been necessary for them to, once they, if they had been purged of their sins, then they would have no more been sinners. And there would have been no more need for sacrifice, right? So he says, but in, but in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. I'm not even going to go off into what all has been falsely taught over the years so uh, about such, such things. For it, for it is not, verse 4, chapter 10. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. I'll, I'm going to say this. Today, uh, even... I think probably still among various folks today. I don't know if I've heard this in a long time or what. Uh, hopefully, anyway. Uh, but people get the idea that somehow people under the Old Testament worship service were saved a different way than they are today. Okay? I'm telling you, there's never been. We go, we go to John chapter 14. There's just one way. Jesus Christ has always been the way. God had, God Himself had, God, and I'm always, you know, the reason and necessity, one of the, you know, I, and for maybe for our own purposes in teaching, for our understanding, one of the needs for the Godhead is so we can see the separate actions of the, of the, the working of God Himself. 
God the Father had faith in Jesus Christ and His blood before Christ ever came and made physically made that sacrifice. And I'm going to say this. As God, you say, well, of course He knew all things. He knows the end from the beginning and so forth. Yes, I'm going to say, say yes and amen. But I'm going to tell you, Jesus Christ was all man when He was here. And He was also all God. Uh, I can't, can you, can I explain that? No, I cannot explain all that. I can just tell you, I know it to be so by scripture and I trust by faith the scriptures, just like we have to trust by faith many other things as we go about this old world and live. He says, it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. It wasn't possible for that time. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not. But a body thou hast thou prepared me. Uh, so they didn't really care about, you know, they, obviously the impression is, is that uh, they didn't really enjoy those sacrifices. I could probably hear, uh, and when you think about the volume of bulls and goats and so forth that had to be, had to be sacrificed every year, can you... Uh, don't answer the. Don't answer this question. Just I'm, I'm going to ask the question. Don't answer. You know, you know. Do y'all? Do you ever whine? Well, I've got to get up in the morning. Church is in the morning. You know. Can you imagine how much whining the priest probably did? Much less the people. Well, we've got to get up and go to Jerusalem again. You know, it's that time of the feast again this year. We've got to go up for the sacrifice and. You and I know it happened, right? I mean, if we weren't there, we didn't hear it, but it had to have happened. And probably the priests themselves complained, you know, about, oh, we got to do, you know, it's going to be another big day tomorrow. It's going to be Black Friday. There's going to be a thousand bulls coming in, you know, or, you know, whatever. So you can hear, you can hear the, the quiet. So he says, when, <clears throat> he says, wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not. But a body thou hast prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast, thou hast had no pleasure. You didn't like it. You complained about doing that. But you don't mind that me, I've got to come. Uh, y'all, y'all prepared this body for me. I had to come to take away your sins uh, because that's, a man had to do this. And so the perfect man had to do this. He, then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do thy will, O God. Above, when he said, sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither hadst thou pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. He took away the first covenant that he might establish the second covenant. And the second covenant was established on better things. And he says, by, which, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Now, I'm going to pause here just on this for just a minute. You know, I, I know today, uh, sometimes throwing out the word sanctification. You know, sanctification can mean, and, and a lot of times is used or thought of, is our gradual growth process uh, from sin uh, toward a more godly life here in this world, that we're becoming more sanctified in the way that we live. That's one use of the word uh, that can be used. But here in the 10th verse of the 10th chapter of the book of Hebrews, he says, Then said he, verse 9, Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second, by which will we are sanctified. Uh, we are sanctified. That word sanctified can mean set apart for a holy service of God. How are you and I set apart for the holy service of God? One, we were chosen before the foundation of the world. Two, we are called from a death in sins to a life in Christ through the new birth. And so in the, in the uh, choosing of God, the foreknowledge of God, He has set us apart. Who? The chosen in Christ Jesus have been set apart or sanctified for the service of God. That's what we're here for. Just like the high priest uh, and, the, uh, and the Levites were set aside for a special service, 
you and I have been set aside as a spe- as special servants for God here in this world. So he says, the which we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. That the death of Jesus Christ for you and, and us being in him set us apart, sanctified us for the service. And it only took one time for Jesus to do it, not year after year after year. So he says, And every priest standeth daily ministering, offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. I, I emphasize some of these words so, so you get the point. They never could do it. They couldn't do it in the Old Testament. They may have gotten the idea over time. I think they did, by the way. I think they got the idea in their minds over time that we're offering, because this is an atoning sacrifice, they no longer saw it as an example or a shadow. They thought they were actually making sacrifice that was taking away sins. And I'll tell you, today, uh, among many of our beloved brethren that, uh, that we love, that Jesus Christ loves here in this world, a lot of people think that by their own confession and by their own uh, uh, baptism or by their own prayer or by their own words, somehow that that, that somehow relieved, uh, makes them relieved of their sin debt. But I'll tell you, the only thing that ever took away their sin debt was the blood of Jesus Christ and His death for them on the cross. And that's, uh, that's whether we come to the knowledge of it and believe it or understand it or whether we don't, it still does that. But, it is, uh, but let, let's follow that up by saying it's good for us to come to a belief and an understanding. Why? Because now we know who to praise for our salvation. Yep. Thanks God that we know that Jesus Christ came. <clears throat> I want to tell you this morning, Jesus Christ didn't just come and randomly die for maybe a bunch of people. Jesus Christ came and died for you. And I'll tell you, that makes his sacrifice all the more important. When the, when the priest went in to offer sacrifice, uh, that high priest once a year, he didn't offer sins randomly for some group of people somewhere in the world. He went in and made a sacrifice for Israel. He made a sacrifice for the sins of the people of Israel that day, and he knew exactly who he's making atonement for. And I'll tell you, Jesus Christ knew exactly who he was making atonement for as well. The the understanding of these things should make make us praise God even more that somehow, although we're worthy of death and eternal punishment because we're sinners, for some reason God loved us. For some reason God loved me. I don't. I can't explain that, uh, but I. But I know in my heart that it's true, and I. And I'm thankful, and I. And it ought to cause us to walk more closely. I think that's part of what Paul is telling the these people. Christ came and sanctified you through the death of Jesus Christ, set you apart, and every high priest standing daily ministering, offering off times the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice, verse 12, uh, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From henceforth, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. Now, 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that last enemy is death. Uh, and while, uh, while he took away uh, the, uh, the second death from you, me and you, uh, which would be eternal punishment in hell, uh, while he took that away, as long as we're in this world and before his second coming, we continue to die physically because we're sinners. Uh, the wages of sin is death. <laughs> but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. <laughs> and so he tells us, uh, uh, he, he sat down. Why? Because his work was complete. I've heard this said. I would have to, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I'll, one of those things, you go back and read. I'll go back and read. We'll all go back and read sometime. Uh, but... Uh, but the the high priest there. Well, I do know this for a fact. You go back and look at the Old Testament worship service. Look at the instruments and the articles that were in the tabernacle. Well, you had uh, you had the candles and you had the tables with the showbread and you had the tables for burning of incense and all those things that were there. No chairs. The reason there was no chairs is there's no place for the high priest to sit down. He was constantly to be tending to things there in the temple. There was work to be done. There was labor to be wrought. But here we see this high priest. 
He has sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. He's sitting there. He's expecting. He's waiting for death in this old world for you and me to come to an end because he knows it's going to happen. He conquered it even there on the cross. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. By one offering, he's perfected those that were set apart for the service of God, those that were chosen in Christ Jesus. He's chosen them, and he's <coughs> by one offering, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified, wherefore, whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us, after that he, he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them in those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and in their minds, and I will write them, and, the sins and, iniquity, and their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. <clears throat> now where remission of, of these is, there is no more offering for sins. Now, I read through all that to, to get to this point and go back up and look at By one offering... Christ hath forever perfected them that were sanctified, those that were chosen in of God in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world. By one offering he hath perfected them, and the Holy Ghost is a witness to us of this. How is the Holy Ghost a witness to us? Go read John chapter 3. Uh, in John chapter 3, he tells us that the Holy Ghost witnesses this to us by coming into our lives and borning us again of the Spirit and declaring to you and I that Christ accomplished uh, our, our, our justification, our sanctification, our atonement upon the cross. And the Holy Ghost comes and witnesses this to us by revealing it to us in our lives, by writing His laws and hearts on our minds and letting us know that our, iniquity, our iniquities are sins will be remembered no more. Now, where remission of these is, there's no more offering for sin. So, uh, he did it once forever. Doesn't have to be done again. What you and I need to do is believe it. <laughs> believe it. Believe it to be true. I was reading, uh, I guess because of some of the things, uh, some of the, and, and, and maybe this applies to some of you. I, I, in fact, I, I know it does uh, to some extent. Uh, maybe not the exact example I'm going to give, but the principle I'm going to give behind the example. Uh, because of some things I've been reading, I went back, uh, I've been going back the last few days uh, and going back and rereading a book that I've had for years. Uh, the same, you know, maybe maybe partially spurred by the birth of my uh, latest birth of my latest grandson and thinking about a 29-month-old and how precious uh, that little baby is, as small as he is. And I'm telling you, out there in the hospital the other day, I marveled in looking at him the first time I got the close-up view of him, looking at him at 29 weeks, and I can see there's fingernails and there's little bitty eyebrows. Uh, and, and, you know, I almost can see him. I need my magnifying glass. You know, there's little bitty eyelashes and, and, and all of those things. And I can see all these little blood vessels coursing through his toes and his fingers and his arm and his neck and his head and all this stuff. And I remembered how God had told us how, how he had wrought us in the womb, how he had worked in, a, in our inner parts and how we're wonderfully and gloriously made, even in the womb. And I think about how could someone take the life of these of these little babes. I uh, I go back and re read, been rereading the Sanctity of Life by Chuck Swindoll, a uh, book I bought twenty something years ago. Addresses the idea of abortion and so forth. And in but in this book he talks about people that have gone through abortion many times live the years later with the regret and wonder and, and agony and depression of realizing year after year, well, if that baby would be 10, that little baby of mine would be 20, that little baby of mine would be, would be an adult these days. And, and, and an agony that just carries on within them. That can never, but I want to tell you by the, word, by the Word of God, if you've got agonies and regrets and depressions, not about necessarily those things, uh, but about whatever in, in your life. I want to tell you that Jesus Christ offered himself uh, to God, not to me and you, as a sacrifice for sins once and forever, and you and I can rest in the assurance that God's... Uh, uh, that Jesus Christ has taken away our, the, the consequences, the permanent consequences of our sins, and you and I can rest in the joy of that. Uh, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And let us be thankful 
that, that God not only took it away for etern- from our eternal punishment, but that we can live victoriously here because of him. So he says, having therefore brethren... Now, where there's where remission of these is, there's no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, the boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by the, by a new and living way which He hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, His flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God. Look, uh, I will pause right here in the middle of this sentence or this run. Or you know, Paul did write some run-on sentences every now and then. But anyway, uh, my teacher used to get on to me for writing on sentences and if she was reading my writing today she would still get on to me for writing them but anyway uh, Paul would kind of get carried out here with an example uh, but let me pause in the minute, middle of this to say Paul says look at this high priest he's, he's, he came he offered his own blood he sacrificed himself he died for us <clears throat> the result of us looking at this victorious high priest and savior is to say let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with the pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for He is faithful that promised. The result of seeing Jesus Christ high and lifted up, victorious, seated on the right hand of the throne of God, having made one sacrifice forever for our sins, is for us to draw near to Him. Don't be afraid of him. Draw near to one that loved you and died for you. Draw near to him in a full heart and true heart, full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed uh, with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful to promise. And let us consider one another to provoke one another to love and to good works. So not only are we to draw near to him and to consider him and, and love him and be faithful to him, my, my job, which I, one, of the, one of the many things I have failed at over the years, but, you know, but my, one of my jobs and one of your jobs is to provoke each other to love and to good works. Uh, I, I ought to be encouraging you, do good works. Love one another. Be active. Uh, uh, provoke each other here to do good things uh, and to serve God, to serve each other, to serve the community, to live a moral life. You know, one of our one of our great challenges. You know, we always I say we. I, I'll talk a lot of times, you know, and, and say, you know, y'all have heard me over the years. You know, abortion abortion's wrong. Homosexuality's wrong, uh, according to God's word. Uh, and and but you know what? It, uh, lying, stealing, cheating, uh, 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 becoming gluttonous, and living, uh, uh, eating too much, and all all those things are are wrong in God's word too. <laughs> and and so let us let us learn, let us uh, provoke each other to love and to good works while we're living here. And part of those good works is live a good life. Live a, live a joyous life. Live a happy life. Live a as a brother Roger Miller said last Sunday, talking about the uh, 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 the beatitudes. Live a, a blessed, being happy. Live a happy life of, of joy and blessedness here, knowing that God has taken away your sins and relieved you of that punishment. Let us live victoriously here, and let us praise Him. Let us love Him. Let us provoke one another to love and to good works, not forsaking. Uh, so now, I'll go back and point this out. I'll, uh, Sister Marcia can help me on this. Uh, uh, teachers here, you know, love teachers. Uh, so he says, let us consider one another to provoke unto, good, un, to, unto love and to good works, colon, <clears throat> now explain the part that comes after. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So I think part of what Paul is addressing, I've, I covered a gamut of things as I'm talking about provoking one another to love and to good works. But I think particularly Paul was concerned about their absence from the body. I'm going to tell you, young, the, the youngest here that can hear, uh, hear my voice and, and the oldest here that can hear my voice, I want to uh, uh, exhort to you and say, when you begin to get away from the house of God, it gets easier to stay away. 
from the house of God. It gets easier to not hear the message of God. It gets easier uh, to go out and live and do other things and, and follow after other uh, other things of this life and the, and the lust of this world. That's one reason I think Paul is exhorting these people here to love and to good works, colon, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, encouraging, pleading, begging, exhorting one another, so much the more as you see the day approaching. What day approaching? The day of evil, the day of wickedness. Maybe I should even say, it could even say for us today, the last days approaching. I, I was going, uh, some of y'all know I, I go and, uh, and listen. I don't say, I, I say listen because I don't, this is not to say I agree. If he hears the recording, it's okay. Uh, it, this is not to say that I agree with a rabbi that I go and listen to a lot of times on Tuesday nights over at Mount Olive. I enjoy some of his thought-provoking, stirring comments that stir my mind up. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean I agree with him or believe all that he has to say. Uh, and so, but, uh, he said, but he asked the question the other night, my point being. He, he looked at us the other night. He said, how many people in this congregation think we're living in the last days? You know, pretty much everybody raised their hand, including me. Uh, now, I don't know if the last days will last a year, two years, 20 years, 40 years. I don't, but I believe when I look at the things that are going on around us, uh, you know, we're, we're so much closer to the time of the coming of Jesus Christ and the types of sins that are going on in the world are exactly what the book describes will be going on at the time of His return, okay? So He says uh, that we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Uh, I may not know exactly what day it is that he's ta- that Paul had exact reference to, but as you and I look at the day of the coming of Jesus Christ the second time, as we see this day approaching, don't get lost out here in the world and don't fall off into unbelief like the children of Israel did. Assemble yourselves together and love and provoke one another to love and exhort one another the more seeing the day coming. In, in this day, I'll tell you, a little bit of light in this world shines the brighter. Uh, when, the, when, the, when the world is in darkness, a little bit of light for me and you and the light being the love of God shines more the brighter. For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. There is no more sacrifice. You can't go in offer another bull, another... There's no more sacrifice because Jesus Christ came and offered himself once for our sins. And so he says, if we sin willfully after this, he says, there's no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for judgment and fire in the nation, which shall defy the adversaries. Christ is going to come back one more time. And, and uh, 1 Thessalonians, uh, no, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 says that he's going to come in flaming fire, <laughs> uh, destroying those who have not the knowledge of God and are rebellious against him. You can go over there and read it. That's not an exact quote. So he, he says, uh, But a certain fearful looking afar of judgment and fire indignation, for he that despised Moses' law. Now I'm not going to, I'm not going to compare. Uh, I believe when we look at this, uh, while there is some implication of his second coming, the example then he turns around and gives is timely punishment for those that were there. Uh, you know, the stoning of a man to death under Moses' law didn't didn't determine that he was going to hell. Okay, uh, the stoning of, the stoning of a man under the old Moses under the law of Moses meant that he had disobeyed the law, and that was the punishment that was given for disobeying the law. That the children of Israel, the camp of Israel, was to be kept clean of certain things, and so the things that God commanded them to do put some people outside to, to live, you know, if they're in leprosy and so forth, they have lepers camp and so forth outside the camp. And if they committed certain sins, then they were also to be stoned to death. There, there was punishment for, for sin that they uh, that he held them accountable to do. Uh, so he says, He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. So you get two or three witnesses together. They say, yep, he did it. 
They take them out and they stone them to death. He says, of how much sore punishment suppose ye that he, he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he, he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite under the Spirit of grace. How much more punishment do you think you and I should be worthy of having come to a knowledge of the truth and understanding that Jesus Christ died for us you know, if people under Moses' law were condemned to be stoned to death under two or three witnesses, think about how much sore punishment we should be due, not saying we have to be due, but how much more uh, uh, punishment should you and I be due seeing that we've seen the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and we've trodden it underfoot with our sins and our rebellion and our unbelief and our disbelief and our, our going away from our, His service the lack of assembling and exhorting one another, how much sore punishment do you and I think, do you think you and I should be due seeing that we don't have to have two or three witnesses? All we've got is one witness and he knows when we're guilty. (laughs) Uh, You follow me? Uh, And he says, For we know... For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Now, you see all the examples he's giving. It's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. Uh, if you're rebelling against the, the things of God and God knows it and you're trotting underfoot the knowledge of what he's already done for you, how much sore punishment do you think that you should, that should happen to you? It's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God, but call to remembrance the former days in which after ye were illuminated, ye endured a great fight of afflictions. Think back to what all you endured when you, you Hebrews, think back to how much affliction you endured at one point in time, having said, I believe Jesus Christ is the Messiah. I believe he's the Savior. I believe he's the one the prophets have been saying was going to come. Think how much, he's saying, remember how much affliction you went through during those days? Partly while she were made a gazing stock, both by the reproaches and afflictions, and partly while she became companions of them that were so used. Think about how much you were used and and, uh, how much uh, punishment came upon you because of the, uh, the fact you declared you believed that there was a Messiah. For ye, had compassion, for ye had compassion of me in my bonds. And I guess one of the things he said, one of the things that they obviously did was they saw Paul. They saw Paul's affliction. They had compassion on Paul. And the ones that had compassion on Paul and his, his mission and his story and his bonds and his afflictions, they were also made outcast by the other brethren. He said, I don't have any you know, any compassion on him. He doesn't deserve any compassion here in this world. For ye had compassion on me and my bonds and took, and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. You gave me your stuff knowing that in heaven you've got a better, better things than you've got here. Cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. When you and I, maybe I should read the rest of this. because Cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come, and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. If any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. Now, take those last few verses and we'll summarize, summarize this up and I'll give you a little glimpse uh, look, looking forward maybe of where my mind uh, to go with, with the rest of this. He says, you know what? Don't cast away your confidence in God. Uh, don't cast it away, uh, uh, which hath great recompense of reward. You need patience. When you're under afflictions... Don't forget how good God has been to you. Don't remember the great recompense of reward when you believed and you had faith in God and you saw that He was the Messiah and you see that He's our Savior. I'm describing while I'm describing while Paul is describing here those that were maybe tending to draw back from the service a little bit. That's the reason he exhorted them to don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. <clears throat> I would say to you today, as as a Christian, as a child of God, as a believer. You're going to be challenged. 
The world's going to try to tear you down, rip you up, tear you apart, and tell you that the things that you first saw, when you first saw the glory of God, when you first saw that... I'm a sinner that, uh, and, uh, and I, I hear the message that I have a Savior and I want to come and forward and pledge my love and, my, uh, and, and confess publicly that I believe that Jesus is, is my Savior. When you first saw that, there was a great relief and a great recompense of reward unto you and, and you had a great confidence that, of these things. But you know, sometimes the things with our confidence begins to kind of get torn down and torn apart. He says... For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. <clears throat> the promise of, of, of not only of, of the other world, but I think the promise that he has for us right here in this life. That you can enter into his rest while you're here. That you can enjoy the relief of the joy of the salvation while you're living here. He says, you might, with patience... After you've done the will of God, you might receive the reward. For yet a little while, and he shall come that will come, and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. Our way of living as God's children is faithfully. Believing him. Believing God's word. Believing God's promises for our daily life and living. And I, I say that... Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. Paul did not say, if any man draw back from living by faith. He, he says, if any man draw back in faith, you're obviously punished. You never were a child of God, and you obviously never did believe really to start. Paul didn't say that. Paul says, if the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, he says, I'm going to be displeased with you. My soul takes no pleasure in seeing one of God's little children draw back away from a faithful walk and living here in this old world. And so my, my, so, so with that, I'll, I'll kind of close chapter 10 out. But to say, now you, you can begin to get a glimpse forward to chapter, chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews. He says, the just shall live by faith. Now let me give you example after example after example of men and women that live by faith. And I also want to tell you, these men and women were not perfect. These men and women had great faults and great failings. But you know what? Overall, in the, in the great realm of things, God said they were faithful. They were faithful in spite of their flaws. They were faithful to him in spite of their failings. And so, that ought to, again, that ought to give great encouragement to you and me. Uh, like I heard somebody say not too long ago, uh, David is listed among the many faithful there in the book of Hebrews. Can anybody name a sin that David did not commit? Can, can you think of any one of the Ten Commandments that he just about didn't fail in somewhere along the way? <clears throat> Yet David is listed among the faithful of God. That ought to give you and I some encouragement today to, to know that in spite of who I am, God loves me. God loves me anyway. Let me walk faithfully after him and let me be counted among the faithful maybe one day that doesn't, didn't fall away and didn't fall back uh, and so that... Paul himself might say, I have no pleasure in you because you failed uh, to stay faithful in your service to God. I hope some of these things encourage you uh, to realize we have one sacrifice for sins forever. Jesus Christ, our Savior, the great mediator of the new covenant, seated on the right hand of the throne of God. May God bless you as I pray.